I have this noise in my head. It'll stop. One day it'll go quiet. I don't imagine that anyone goes in for a robbery if they're not in some kind of desperation. I've been at this a while now, and it's no secret what my face looks like. Get on the ground! The one thing about robbing banks is you're mostly robbing women, so the last thing you want to be is rude. Ma'am, it's nothing personal. Hello and welcome to Step and Repeat, a weekly movies and awards show podcast by your two neighborhood-friendly film buffs. I'm Andrew. And I'm Matt. And each week, if you're new to the show, Matt and I roll out the red carpet and Step and Repeat banner for our feature film of the week. And this week, our movie is Cherry whose trailer you just heard at the top of the episode. Uh, but the way that we like usually structure our episodes is uh, our feature film of the week comes after a little bit of a preview, uh, previews, so to speak, of other media, <laughs> like the trailers, I guess. And uh, this week we have like a special segment install for you. Uh, if you stick around to the very end, uh, Matt and I will be going over our Oscar predictions, our nominations uh, for Best Picture only. Don't worry, we won't. <laughs> we won't do like 20, 20 categories. Um, yeah. Uh, also because I don't even bother to make predictions for the shorts because it's like, what's what's the point? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but like the big one, like the one everyone cares about, best picture. So we will be uh, revealing to each other what we think is going to get nominated. So I'm really excited for that. Uh, yep. Pretty much, uh, pretty much our entire episode is going to be in anticipation of those final minutes. I know. So, so let's get through these segments to get to that one. <laughs> uh, so. Not that I'm wrong. I know, I know. Not that uh, everything else matters, but this is an award show podcast and it's like very surprisingly, we don't get to talk about awards as much as <laughs> uh, as much as you would expect. Technically, we're like, weren't we like an awards season podcast first and then we like changed it slowly over the time? I mean, technically, if you want to get like granular about it, like is there... We're always in award season. <laughs> it's just like it's just like the Oscars are the cap of it all, which is um, part of the reason I think why they're so exciting because they're the it's the end. It's like the New Year's Eve. Yeah, our season finale is coming up. Oh no, I know. Um, our very long season two because uh, last season <laughs> ended with the Oscars too. So. Uh, we have over 52 episodes this year because it's been a 14 month season. Yeah, it's been a long season. Uh, but I need um, a break from you. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, but I won't belabor the Oscar stuff because we're going to come back to it uh, because we have to get to our previews first. Yes. Uh, in our first segment, what are you watching? Where Matt and I get on each other's soapboxes, or I guess our own soapboxes, uh, to talk about like what media we're consuming this week. Um, we didn't do one last week because we had John as a special guest for WandaVision. So I can't remember who went first or not. It was a fun episode last week. I really enjoyed that. I know, me too. I, like I love heroes. 
I know it's uh, those sorts of things are always fun because you can both like talk about the content like how good is it as like a tv show or a movie whatever and then you can also get into theory stuff too so it's um it's got that like sort of that dual function which i always yeah. find yeah i love talking theory and it's, oh, it's, it's awesome i could write i could write paper after paper uh book write a book write a book yeah. i always like equate like movies with writing papers because all I did in college, write papers on movies. Every movie I saw, minimum five pages. I know, like my, all my letterbox reviews are practically full length papers. <laughs> um, I'm like, now I'm like, can I just submit a podcast instead? <laughs> I, uh, so part of the reason why I like love doing the podcast in general too is I like, I have so many thoughts about just like all movies really that I like, need to get all those thoughts out there and it. yeah it's cathartic and um that's another reason like why my letterbox reviews are always so long because it's like i have so many thoughts that i need to get out and if i don't get them out i will forget them i'll just like completely forget them yeah uh, and it's always troubling to me when somebody like comes up to me or um, asks me like, what did you think of this movie? And I like have a brain fart and I'm just like, uh, it's good. Like it's, I like don't know what to say. And so like, I'm really grateful for like the podcast and the uh, letterbox reviews because that allows me to like reference back to something. And then I'll like look at the review and I'll be like, oh, right, right. This is what you thought. And then, and then you're able to like articulate your feelings yeah. or then it's good. I'm just like, let me redirect you back to my podcast. I know. So you I can know. listen to a full hour and a half diatribe on whatever. Yeah, whatever the future film of the week is. So, uh, so. Anyway. All right. Well, enough chit chat. I want to know what you're watching. Andrew. So what are you watching? Um, I'm cheating a little bit this week. Oh, I think I am too. Maybe a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so I, a part of the reason why I just got like so existential for a second there, <laughs> uh, talking about like the podcast and, uh, also mentioning, I did like a little wink. I was saying like, what are you watching? Like what media we're consuming? I was very careful with my words uh, because I technically am not watching anything for my thing this week. Uh, for the first time, I'm picking a book that I just oh. finished. That's so, not a cheat. I know, because I think like when we started this segment, I like mentioned that I it was like, I was like, it can be anything because like, it's like it can be politics, like watching the debate or, you know, watching election results um, or TV movies. Um, and I think I said books originally, but I realized that I like haven't talked to a, about a book in part. And it's like such a huge part of my life, too. Like I spend like a lot of time reading, but the thing with like talking about books in general is usually you can't talk about a lot unless the other person's read the book. <laughs> so with like movies and TV, you can be like a little more loosey goosey with it. Um, 
because like you talk about like the plot and stuff. Um, but like with books, it's so granular. But <laughs> this week, um, I just finished a book about uh, critics and criticism. So oh. which is like, obviously kind of kind of what we do. <laughs> uh, and, green eggs and ham. I, oh my God. I am so glad I've stayed out of all this Dr. Seuss stuff. I, I honestly don't even know what's going on and I don't want to. And I don't okay. um, so, well, fighting. Well, yeah, it, yeah. I know. It's I'll just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a culture proxy war. It's just some people making fun of cancel culture and others. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I've like, I, I've got the beats down and because I've got the beats down that I'm like, I know I don't care. So yeah. <laughs> I'm avoiding it. Yeah. Uh, but so the book that I just finished this week is called better living through criticism by AO Scott and AO Scott is the chief film critic for the New York times. Uh, I was thinking uh, A.O. Scott might be the, what, I don't know, it's tough to say, might be the most well-known currently working movie critic. Um, I mean, like, we don't have Roger Ebert anymore, so it's, uh, there's really no go-to. And the way that, like, we consume, like, journalism kind of these days, you kind of, like, pick and choose, like, which ones your favorites are. But so like, I kind of want to say it's A.O. Scott, but he's really not that famous. <laughs> so I, I just like, I don't know. Um, but anyway, I mean, like the fact that he's like chief critic for the New York Times just like tells you anything you need to know. And I think that's just kind of like everyone's like default, like prestige paper, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, that's just who we're dealing with here. And uh so I was kind of like really interested in this book and I've been wanting to read it. In part, I wanted to read it after we kind of started the podcast because I kind of wanted to like get better at like being a critic or like how to see criticism. And so I saw like a book list recommendation and that was on top of it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to read this. Uh, and like right off the bat, I found it like really interesting because A.O. Scott wrote the book in part um, after he was like kind of dragged on social media um, after he came out with like a review for the Avengers um, and like Samuel L. Jackson had this tweet of like saying like uh, he get A.O. Scott gave it like a like mild to negative review and not even not even that negative, truthfully. What he said was like, you. he basically said that like the Avengers he thought was like a little bit soulless because like it felt like it was like Disney corporate overlords, which is like funny because now that argument has now stuck and a lot of people feel that way. But um, Samuel L. Jackson at the time like tweeted at him and uh, said, he was like, A.O. Scott, so-called film critic, He's like, let's show them wrong. And like he, a lot of trolls came after him on social media. I came after A.O. Scott mm -hmm. on social media. And so uh, it was basically this thing of like, 
a an actor or an artist like kind of like attacking a critic so to so for for being a critic <laughs> and um it's kind of A.S. Scott is like okay let's like take a step back and show like what the purpose of like criticism is to begin with and I find this like concept kind of really interesting because I feel like I see it a lot with music more so than movies of artists attacking critics um when they're like negative and it's like um I think of I think of like two specific examples. Um, one, recent examples, I should say. Um, one is like Lizzo had like a very similar, um, had a very similar criticism to Pitchfork who gave like her album, like a mild review. Um, and like Pitchfork is obviously like a very valued, like music criticism um, site, if not like the most valued. So uh, it was, it was a similar sort of instance. And when it's like, if you look at something like Metacritic, which is like whole other thing, like Lizzo's album got like amazing reviews and like one mild review. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of like, well, like you're just focusing on like the one mild review and it's like, you're fine. Don't worry about this. Um, and this is like, and this also kind of this also happens like with a band that like I really like the 1975 like one of um, the like most popular songs like the sound like the whole music video like the whole music video is this idea of like critics like criticizing the 1975's music so like text is overlaid on top of like the whole music video of saying like of real critics saying like how much the 1975 sucks and and it's kind of like sticking it to the critics um so like this happens a lot with music too uh so and um it happens with bands i like it happens with like bands i don't like um it just happens all the time and so like i find this like idea of like people attacking criticism so um so wild and uh and this book like kind of helped me like understand this a little bit more. Um, like A.O. Scott talks about how like, like the purpose of like art to get like pretty existential for a minute. Um, he talks about like art and art itself is like a form of criticism. How um, like art is always like trying to perfect what came before, right? So like, you hear as a musician, you hear a song, like you hear Chuck Berry play the guitar and you're like, wow, I wanna do that and improve on that and like do it better. Um, or like a film, like a movie director seeing old movies and like, I wanna do it better. Uh, so uh, like in a way, art is like always striving for perfection, um, which has like, always always been the case um and it's like this sort of like notion dates back to um like the idea of like the garden of eden of like how you had it like how good you had it and then like you committed sin and like you're always striving to get back the the garden of eden or like prometheus um and pandora like once prometheus like brought the fire to humanity um 
humans were punished with Pandora and Pandora's box. And like they and humans ever since then have been like striving to like reach that like world that they never had this like perfection idea. So so it's like really interesting to me that like the idea of like critics and negative criticism stands in the way of that. Um, so uh, it's it's this like paradox that like art is criticism um, and criticism is art. So uh, this is like always, and so like in seeking to like strive that perfection as a critic, um, that means like the critic has to like choose between like so many binary choices. Um, so like take like film criticism, um, us for example, uh, and so if you like as a critic, like we have to think about things of like, okay, like is this movie like honoring the past or is it avant-garde and like looking to the future? Is this like super original um, or is it kind of like, is this movie like just a mood, something that you have to like just appreciate as it is or do you need to again get like granular being like okay this movie is good because the acting is good the cinematography is good like the directing is good the writing is good like how is it the pieces or is it the whole um and so like you always have to be kind of like making these binary choices and there is no like right or wrong answer <laughs> that's the thing so it's um it's interesting to me um and like the way that I've, I kind of came out of this book and I don't like necessarily always agree with everything he says, Theo Scott says, but the way that like I see criticism is like almost like a philosophy. So, um, so like you, it's the way you see the world and like the way that you see the, human condition it's like the way of it's it's a critic interpret the world like a certain way and that is and like criticism is that particular world view. so um and i think like now you see it more because it's like this is like at a period of time where we're like constantly seeking meaning in our lives um and like this has to do with like the rise of conspiracy theories and like political division, like major fandoms proliferating. Um, all of these things are like offer structure. And like, I think like the purpose of art is to like really teach us about like the human condition, so to speak. So um, I think like the critic like sieves through the proliferation of like content and like and that's where they offer their worldview, their interpretation of things. So, so I see it as like very philosophical um, and like something that like reflects the human, reflects the human condition of and, and how you see the world. So, um, so it was like, it was very much like a period of self-reflection and uh, it's very, um, very good because I like think about like I think about this stuff all the time because like I don't just like watch 
I don't always watch movies like just for the entertainment, although sometimes it can be part of it too. So like, I really think there's something to offer. And I think this book kind of like helped me refine my ideas of what it is that like criticism offers. And like, honestly, why do the the podcast in the first place like it's it's not all like fun for me and i don't want it to be so um so yeah i like really liked this book and um it like influences the way that i did the podcast so that is <laughs> that is my take on better living through criticism <laughs> by ao scott so well that was deep i could write it i'm sure i know i like i'm a very for better and for worse i'm like a very introspective person um so i would if i if i were in college i would love to write a paper on this book well um i hope you are having fun <laughs> i don't know what the point is of doing podcast. um i think it should be fun um but a lot of things you've said, like, you know, the rise of conspiracy theories and um, like major fandom and then about um, critics and artists getting into it with each other, like there's all one common denominator, right? And it's the internet. So um, I just, from my perspective, I feel like artists have their job, critics have their job. And it's only been in recent years since Twitter that um, artists have had the ability to really clap back at art, or uh, uh, yeah, artists have had, really had the ability to clap back at um, the press. And I feel like they use Twitter as an outlet to kind of get into these arguments and fights. And I, I don't think that's healthy for anyone. Um, I don't think they should be, I think they should stay completely separate um, because they do have two different jobs to do. Um, I'm a supporter of artists and I'm also a supporter of the press and the media. Um, so I think, I think every member of the press, whoever they write for, big, small, you know, blog, the New York Times are entitled to their own opinions. They have a job to do um, and they do it. And I don't think that artists should be essential or like Samuel L. Jackson, I think it like I think it's really inappropriate for any artist to to kind of fight with critics on um what they say. It's kind of like the same thing with like like press and politics. Like, you know, the press are there to do their job, politicians are there to do their job. And it's not the job of the politicians to get in fights with press when they think something is wrong because press are doing the job of keeping the government in check. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, also what you said, <laughs> like we strive for perfection. Um, we will never be, art will never be perfect, just like this country. Like we always strive for a more perfect union. Um, and we have, we have the press to keep them in check. And we have the press to um, kind of tell us, the average viewer, you know, what they thought of the movie. And we have, we are the average viewer. We can go and seek out whatever press we want to seek and um, seek out whatever outlets we want to seek and um, kind of tell them or gather a few and, and see how see how they feel about a movie. Um, 
So yeah, I'm, I, I, I really like A.O. Scott. I, I think he's a, he's a good reviewer. Um, I, I, I like the New York times. I like the Washington post reviews. I like, I, I have a lot of respect for any movie critic that has to do that. <laughs> um, and like has to write like, <laughs> like, like very like formulaic reviews all the time. Um, and I, I like when like critics can also be like, like kind of step out of their comfort zone and be funny or, um, just write, you know, however they want to write. So, uh, like, which is why I also like appreciate blogs and other um, kind of smaller sites too, where they're not constricted by um, their own organizations. So, uh, yeah, I um, sounds like an interesting read, and uh, yeah, I maybe I'll <laughs> maybe I'll borrow it from you one day. <laughs> yeah, um, Ao Scott has a much better vocabulary than I does. <laughs> than I does. Listen. <laughs> I can't even speak. <laughs> yes, proved your point. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, uh, and um, so he can say much more uh, articulate. <laughs> He's much more articulate than I am. Wow, I don't know what just happened to me. Uh, and like one of the interesting things, and he talks about how like criticism will always be like, will always kind of come back to criticism. Um, because like if you look at things like the proliferation of like of blogs and like new sites and sites like honestly like letterboxd he doesn't say he doesn't mention letterboxd outright also in part because letterboxd wasn't as big when this book was published um but he says stuff like um as we like migrate to like more populism and like more like everyone's a critic and everyone has like their own reviews then to the average person um if you have so much like in front of you uh and you're kind of like well how who do i know to trust and then like you need this sort of authority and like that's again when the role of critics professional critics uh like step in and it's like okay this is like this is the person I can like trust and look towards um, for my opinion. So that's why um, it's like, even if like criticism is in like a bit of retreat because of the, um, because of the rise of like the star and social media, uh, this um, like will always eventually in the long run, will kind of like come back to critics because critics have always been attacked. <laughs> like from uh like for hundreds thousands of years so uh so it's um, it's really like it's fascinating and that's why i like that's why in part i recommend having a few critics like that you really like and follow their opinions when you're like searching for criticism rather than like looking at a rotten tomato score or a metacritic score because that doesn't offer the whole picture and it's better to have somebody whose opinion you trust um and it's it's like a much more it's a warmer more intimate and trustworthy process so hopefully we're one of those people <laughs> yep well hopefully i know we have a lot of friends that listen to the podcast so i actually do suspect that might be a little bit of the case um yeah yeah, I um, I, I always well, I think I've I've said this before. I always not that I don't have you know I don't have problems with uh, press, but I 
I always avoid, avoid reviews just because, not that I don't trust opinions, I, I just don't want to have any preconceived or like any, yeah, any preconceived notions before I walk into a movie. Like I want to form my own opinion. And if I do read reviews, I have the tendency to uh, kind of conform to other people's ideas and thoughts and opinions and kind of go into it with a different lens. So I kind of like going into a movie with a blank slate, um, not knowing like how like awfully bad or like really good a movie can be. Like, you know, you, you sometimes you can't avoid like hearing um, word on the street about some film or TV shows. But I try to avoid as much as possible before I see. It. And then after I watch, then I read other people's opinions just to see if they kind of meld with mine or can like, I know it seems kind of weird, but can also help kind of shape my opinion um, in some cases when I'm like kind of confused on how I felt about a movie or a TV show. Um, some some art, some um, reviewers or press can really help put my thoughts into words. So not that I'm like, not that I'm like um, stealing anyone's opinions, but they no, like all yeah. a lot of, I mean, a lot, if not all critics do that. So like, I think of like, I still have never been to a proper um, film festival, but like a common thing to do is like, after they go see a movie or like at the end of the day, at like a very long day or something like, everyone just like goes out to get a drink and then like they talk about the movie and they like form their own opinions like in part they refine their opinions based on like what other people say and think too um, this is why like dinner in a movie is always great especially if you do the dinner afterwards because it's like you get the um you get the other person's like opinion after and it like refines your own so yeah. Um, it's like a necessary part of the process. Like you don't have all the answers. No one has all the answers. So, and that's why I see like criticism as a philosophy because it's like your own worldview and that and it's putting a lens of the world on your thoughts. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes that date might not go well if you guys have a bad disagreement. Um, oh, I know. I've definitely been on like dates before where I basically like pretend I like the movie, um, even if I, even if I don't. Um, it's just it's like this weird sort of thing of like you like don't want to admit that you didn't like something because like you don't want to give the impression that you're having a bad time. Yeah. Um, even though I don't see that, like it is totally fine to watch a bad movie and like still have a good time. Like, yeah. I, um, but I, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard line to walk. If, if I don't like a movie, I am so stubborn. I'm just, I stick to my opinion. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I don't care if you liked it. You ain't going to convince me otherwise. I generally like, just like, don't talk about it. I'm just yeah. kind of like, okay. And then it's just like, keep my mouth shut. I'm like, I'll keep my opinions to myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like there's some people at work that's like really love like some movies that came out this year and they like talking about it. Like, Did, you didn't like so-and-so? I'm like, Ugh. no, sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, then I kind well, of, but anyway, that's. Um, for some reason, 
I could be wrong, but for some reason, I have a feeling what you're, what are you watching is going to be a rant against something. So it is not. Oh, okay. I'm wrong. So I, I know what you thought I was going to be watching. I was actually going to do two, but the first, your water, no, don't take offense. This, your water, your, your water you're watching was long. So I'm going <laughs> to stick to one and I'm going to, it's going to be happy and light. <laughs> Uh, so in that case, Matt, what are you watching? Um, so I was going to talk about, um, coming to America, but we'll leave that for another day. That was um, not, that's not what I thought you were going to talk about. Oh, really? What did you think I was going to Tom and Jerry. I saw your like letterbox review. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched that because I like felt like I needed to, and it was stupid. Um, oh my God, that movie was so bad. I was like, <laughs> my letterbox review for that was like, um, the, the worst decision I've ever, ever made in my life was watching this movie sober. So, <laughs> so awful. Um, no, so my, uh, my, what are you watching this week? I was really excited for, um, is, was the, um, South Park special. <laughs> oh. like, you read a book and <laughs> I watch South Park. <laughs> South Park? Oh my god. Well, speaking of which, one of like the genius things about South Park is like how philosophical South Park is. There are plenty of books about like philosophy and South Park and morality. So it is like it's super fascinating. We had to read one in college and it was great. Um there are whole there are whole classes like taught about South Park and philosophy and morality. So it's it is not that far off, believe it or not. Wow. Um, well, so I'll just, I'll just, I'll, I'll keep mine really short because we got a lot to get to today. So, um, South Park, they've kind of, because of due to COVID, they've kind of, um, foregone their regular season and South Park is like my all time favorite show. I, I, I love South Park. I find so much joy in him in South Park, um, just because there's, I feel like there's so much to get out of it. Um, and the way that it's evolved over the years, um, to really become a show about, about making statements. Um, I think is like really important. And I think a lot of people like would benefit from watching it. Um, so I really, so South Park this season, they haven't really done a full season. They've done two specials. So the first one came on, I believe in October. Um, and it was called, um, it was, it was like kind of in the middle of COVID. Um, and it was, it was called the pandemic special. Um, I, I didn't really like that one as much as I like this one. Um, the, that one was about uh, Randy or Stan's dad selling uh, marijuana, called, and it, they called it the pandemic special. Um, but if you watched it, you know, if, if you know, you know. Um, but the this one was called the vaccination special, um, and it was all about yeah, <laughs> uh, it was all about how the um, how people are getting their vaccines um, and who they're di distributing it to. And they're kind of making fun of like recent events um, going on in America. So they touched on um, QAnon and the COVID-19 and the storming of the Capitol um, and the presidential election. So they kind of like all rolled that into like one hour special. Um, and I thought it was really funny and really smart. And um, they had a really like, you know, I don't know if you know, like at the beginning of every episode, they have like a, um, a black screen, like about like why the show is offensive and like how you shouldn't watch it. So like the first thing they showed was like they changed the title card to kind of address um, cancel culture 
And um, I'll just read it real quick. I have it right here. It says, this program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and will still be wrong in the future. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge it, acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. And then they go on, <laughs> like the Muppets, this show should not be watched by anyone. <laughs> so, um, I thought that was like very smart. I, I, I thought the, um, I was thought that was very well written. Um, and I think it touched on the fact that this, what the show has been trying to do for a long time was um, not be offensive, uh, but acknowledge or bring up conversations and spark conversations to talk about different communities and how they're uh, discriminated against or um, made fun of, and like they, I know they they they've touched on everyone from you know every gender, race, um, creed, origin, and they bring up stereotypes to bring up a conversation rather than I, I that's what I feel rather than um, mistreat people. So and they really um, exacerbate those stereotypes and uh, kind of make fun of how society makes fun of people and how just stupid and ridiculous it is and i i feel like this is a um i feel like when the show began it was purposely offensive and people did legitimately take offense to it but i feel like the creators matt stone and trey parker have evolved over the years or have grown over the years especially as they've, they've both become parents um and i feel like they've turned the show into um something really funny and really like grossly offensive to something very smart and very um, something that we can talk about. And um, I think it's, I think it's an important, important thing to, I think it's, I think what they do is important. Um, so, so yeah, the vaccination special back to that. So <laughs> um, it, so this is their second one hour special of the season. Um, and it's, so it's about uh, the kids kind of, um, before you know, Stan, Kenny, Kyle, and Cartman, um, kind of, you know, they're so sick of COVID, and um, they kind of go there. They're they're uh, there's like infighting in the group between the four boys because um, how they want to go about COVID and hanging out, and whatever. Um, so <laughs> it kind of makes fun of how um, at the beginning how certain. Um, people are getting like they can't get into the Walgreens because like they treat Walgreens like you know the big club in town and how um, older people are getting into the vaccines and there's like a huge line of people trying to get vaccines and this one woman walks in and she goes she like cuts the line she's like this nice old lady and she gives everyone in line the fingers she goes 78 bitches <laughs> and gets in line to get her vaccine um, so anyways uh, the last four years uh, Mr. Garrison has played President Trump, they haven't really brought up Trump's name at all. They've never brought up Trump's name in the show um, because I think the creators despise him. But to make fun of him, they made the teacher who's just very um, quirky and stupid, uh, Mr. Garrison, they create, they turn him into Donald Trump um, and they bring him back into town. Uh, and and they're, you know, they're um, the conspiracy theorists and the QAnon people kind of recognize him and they're like, oh my God, it's you, it's you. And they never bring up his name. Um, but they uh, kind of form their own cult, their QAnon cult within the town, um, and kind of, uh, yeah, they, they figure out how to stop vaccines from going into people's arms. And then the whole show is a culmination of how, how the kids um, can figure out how to get vaccines for teachers 
and how important it is for us to vaccine, vaccinate teachers um, and kind of distribute the vaccine in an appropriate manner. Um, and they also they also touch on the storming of the Capitol and how kind of like ridiculous and stupid some of these people are in their ideas and worldviews are. <laughs> um, yeah, it's I, I don't like have any like direct quotes, but <laughs> I mean there's some really funny lines in there. So um, I want to go back and rewatch it again just because I don't think I got every everything from it the first time. But um, yeah, it was really good. And it was really funny. And if you're a South Park fan, um, I highly uh, recommend it. So I don't. <laughs> I feel kind of like stupid going after you, like <laughs> reading this book, and I'm like, yeah, watch South Park. <laughs> So see, like it's actually, I see, I see more similarities than you do, okay. um, because like even you, you're like talking about it. I kept coming back to like the idea of like art is criticism and criticism is art, and so like you even like mentioning in like the first half of like quote unquote making fun of people, like what is that? But criticism right so uh it like depends how you do it and so that that to me like circles back to that whole idea of art is criticism and criticism yeah. is art so i see more similarities than you do so you don't <laughs> uh i wouldn't quite sell yourself short um, uh, but, uh, one of like the really cool things of South Park is like how quickly they're able to like turn their episodes and specials around, like how quickly they're able to like incorporate real life events and, um, and say stuff about it. So it's, uh, this is no exception. <laughs> um, if you've ever had, if you ever get the chance, there's a, a one hour special called um, six days to air and it shows how the creators can make an episode in less than a week um, and meet that deadline and how they only came came once um, to like almost not meeting a deadline um, and that was the human scent I've had episode for those uh, I just dope my tongue um, but yeah it's very impressive about how how quickly they can um, kind of pick up on the issues and then get a show written created and and distributed within six days so it's it's fascinating it's so impressive it's a lot of hard work yeah yeah really um but obviously due to covid they aren't able to do that um because they have a they have to spend a lot of time in the studio surrounded by each other you know there's it's a big team that puts it on um they have a whole production studio so it's unfortunately they uh, they couldn't do it. So um, this season, um, they took their time, you know, created these two specials. And I think it's, I think they, I think they've hit the nail on the head, um, really this time, more this time than last time. Um, that's, Are they going to have another or is it just these two? Um, I believe it's just these two. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there uh, maybe is one more, um, but I know their, their new season will start again in September. If, if they can start a new season, um, if they can't, then I would I would think there'll be more specials along the way. Um, but usually it, their season runs September to, September to December. Um, but I don't know. Maybe we'll get one more. But who knows what the future holds? Very cool. Well, look forward to hearing from more. Yeah. All right.
So, speaking of criticisms, should we get to our criticisms for our main story of the night? Main feature film. Uh, Chatty! With Very. a tray on top. Uh, <laughs> the uh, new film uh, from the Russo brothers, who are most famous for directing the past two Avengers movies. Uh, and Cherry stars Tom Holland. Uh, so working again <laughs> with the Russo brothers. Um, and so it was directed by the Russo brothers. Um, Cherry was based on the uh, novel from the same name uh, by Nico Walker, um, semi-autobiographical. Semi lean hard on the semi who knows how much he embellished uh, and was written by the russo brothers' sister angela russo otstadt uh and jessica goldberg um and also stars uh ciara bravo of nickelodeon fame and jack rayner of midsomar fame uh, in supporting roles, but um, it mainly follows like this, the protagonist um, whose name is never mentioned. So, but he's credited as Cherry. So he's like the titular role and uh, mainly follows his time in like post 9-11 college, um, gets a girlfriend, um, breaks up with his girlfriend, uh, joins the army. Um, gets back together with his girlfriend and then goes through his entire time um, in the army, um, on the battlefield, in Iraq, coming back home, dealing with opioids and PTSD and bank robberies. So <laughs> a lot, a lot is going on in Terry. It's a nearly two and a half hour movie. So there is um, much going on. Uh, it's available in select theaters and also airing on Apple TV Plus. And it is the final uh, awards contender, quote unquote. Um, it was since it was it barely made it under the Oscar eligibility window. So which ended at the end of February because it was airing at theaters. But now it's on streaming. So, um, so this is like probably the last Oscar season movie that we um, would be able to talk about. But um, spoilers ahead, uh, in case you're uh, spoiler phobic. So you've been warned as of right now, everything from here on out will spoil what happens in Cherry. We should just change the name of our show to just spoilers ahead. Spoiler alert. Don't have to say we don't have to say it. I think it's like because it's so hard to keep track of and it kind of like just comes out and I like never know what a full like spoiler will and won't be. So like it's hard to know like what people consider a spoiler or not. So I'm just kind of like take the cautious route. It's like, well, it's better to just like lay everything out on the table than to watch your words. Um so too carefully i guess that's the opposite of cautious yeah yeah so you've been warned <laughs> yeah, you've been warned even though like i like said the plot and i don't think that's like 
that spoilery and I don't know. I actually don't think there's a whole lot to spoil in this movie. So yeah. You just reminded me too, like you said this would be our last movie review before or our last quote unquote like Oscars contender before the award season comes out. And I'm like, wait, what about the father? And then I'm like, that movie won't oh, even yeah. after the award show. I know. There's always like one movie every year that like takes forever to release and we can well we might get into this um when we go over our, our oscar predictions but i really don't know how the father is going to play because of their strategy of like delaying the release so late it's it's, ridiculous. it's either going to pay off handsomely or it's going to hurt them a lot yeah so i think it's going to hurt i know so like the thing is like in theory, they all have access to it. Like every single Academy voter gets screeners and like they're able to see it. Um, but this happens like almost every year. Like there's almost always one movie that like feel like feels like it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. So, and this year it's the father. Well, yeah. I mean, this year it's just it's to the point. I will get into this later, but like yeah. it's just gotten to the point where it's so ridiculous where it's like I, I don't even know if like I want to see it anymore because of how they've how they've mistreated us as viewers yeah it's just like it's the 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 normal folk <laughs> so all the people who've seen it at um uh screenings and film festivals and i did it was available in film festivals so like it was like even virtual film festivals I just always had a conflict at every single time there was a screening for it, like at a film festival. So, um, so I didn't see it, but, um, well, I think it March 26th, I think is when the date, the father comes out, um, on, on demand. So, um, a couple weeks, uh, sorry guys, this is not a podcast about the father. <laughs> Sorry, I again like to go on diatribes. And... Uh, no, but that's like um, that's a good point because um, that's like the last like above the line contender. Cherry, much to everyone's surprise, um, got a very big um, nomination this week. Uh, it was nominated for the Guild for Best Cinematography. So. Um, which honestly to me is like a very inspiring uh, choice uh, because um, usually they go with like the usual sort of suspects and this came out of nowhere. Like no one was expecting this to get that. And so um, knowing that headed into it, I was like more cognizant of it. And um, honestly, I was kind of like, you know what? I support it. Uh, so I support the Cinematography Guild nomination. Um, but... Uh, Everything else, maybe not so much. Um, <laughs> so uh, now um, might be a, a good time for 10 words or fewer, since uh, my 10 words or fewer kind of ties into <laughs> what I was just saying. <laughs> so. Yeah, kind of mine too. Uh, um, so why don't you go first? <laughs> I think I went first. Uh, Mine is like not bad when no one is talking. <laughs> so 
I think the, I think the screenplay is awful. Um, but or the dialogue in particular is awful. So, um, but like I genuinely like that's a very good to look. It's nice to look at. <laughs> so, um, if you're gonna have a two and a half hour movie, I'm glad it's like at least pretty. If it weren't pretty, this would have been like way worse for me. So yeah. that's my um ten words of fewer not what is your ten words of fewer review of cherry? Um I'll explain what it means after we're done. Um it sounds kind of weird. So uh my ten words of fewer is the movie equivalent of a Geico commercial. Okay, please explain because I don't get it. <laughs> um, so I have a big problem with Geico commercials because there's way too many of them and they don't stick to just one advertising campaign. And I feel like Cherry has way too much going on and it doesn't find a lane to stick in. Um, it doesn't find, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really know what it wants to achieve. They've got a lot of things to say and, um, there's a lot of themes they want to cover and topics they want to cover, um, but it's just, it's becomes overwhelming and too much. Um, and I think it's very poorly written. I think it's very beautifully shot. So I think that the um, the Guild nomination is well-deserved, um, but I think it is a poorly, uh, poorly written um, uh, movie that just tries to accomplish way too much. And um, I read one review um, that Cherry is kind of the movie. It, it's a movie that uh, kind of throws everything at the wall um, just to see what's different. I don't think that's how uh, a movie should be made or come across as. Yeah, so very painting with like very broad strokes here. Um, part part of its like issue is it, it doesn't really necessarily take a stance on anything. Um, and this is like s complicated by the fact that it's based on a novel. So novels, obviously fiction, but the, that fiction is based on somebody's actual life. So, um, so like, I don't know how much is like completely em embellished. Um, of like how big, like, I don't even know if this guy, like Rob Banks, probably not if he's writing books. Um, so like, I doubt like that part is into it too, but like, there's a certain sort of plight that like, frankly appeals to um, like probably people in, who are of this age who um, like come, came of age after 9-11, like, um, like basically straight white aggressive men. Um, and then like basically how much society kind of like screwed them, right? So like they fought for their country after like after 9-11 and they like came back home and were like dealing with PTSD and, um, and drug addiction, but like society didn't help them. And so like they were forced to do bank robberies because of this like stuff. That's like kind of like what it's implying, but it never ever really 
kind of like digs sort of deep into that. It never like blames any sort of societal pressure. In fact, because it's so individually focused, it's like only focused on Cherry, on Tom Holland, that like I couldn't quite get a grasp on how much like their putting at fault like individual responsibility versus like societal faults um or like even both like the real answer is like both but like they don't they don't ever like sort of say or lean in any sort of one direction uh so it's kind of that um that makes it a little bit like not too dissimilar to the movie Joker <laughs> um, like, I know, um, your face, <laughs> I know, like, uh, uh, but, uh, it, like that is also sort of the issue with Joker. Um, and the joke about Joker is like, we live in a society of like, well, what kind of society? <laughs> like, yeah, we get it. Like society is society. And like, this is, this is sort of doing a sort of thing. It's like, yes, like we get it. Life, end of story. <laughs> like, so, um, so like they're doing all these sorts of things. So like when you're saying like, they're like throwing everything at the wall and seeing like what sticks, that can, that only works when you have a thesis statement. Mm -hmm. And there's like no thesis statement behind this movie. No, not at all. Um, I like, I just feel like when they started to go like in a direction, like I wanted, like I wanted to just keep going in that direction, but then it kind of has to like veer off into something else, like into another lane. And I'm just, that's where, it, that's where it lost me. Um, so it's like each story starts to develop and then it goes into another story. Um, and I feel like, like all focusing on Tom Holland's character. Um, and I don't even want to call him Cherry because that's Cherry's, they mentioned what, why it's called Cherry in the movie. And that's like, like, I get it, but it's like, that's not his name. And I think it's weird that yeah. they call him credit for Cherry. Oh, okay. So real quick too, I, I, I think it's, it's inconsistent, right? I don't have a problem with them calling him Cherry, but no one in the movie calls him Cherry. It's not like a nickname or anything too. Whereas there is another character whose name is literally Pills and Coke. Uh, and they, but they call him that in the movie as if like that is his nickname. So it's like they refer to him throughout the movie as Pills and Coke, Pills and Coke, but they never refer to Cherry as Cherry. So like, which one is it? Like it's, one is like named and one is unnamed so it's it's like inconsistent of how they apply this sort of quirky character name thing so that was yeah a little bit like frustrating to me yeah did you also notice like the names of like the banks or like the restaurants like how like it was like really they weren't names it was just like generic generic like generic bank or like stupid effing bank or like the people's nameplates would be like um, general what general whatsoever or like uh, when he goes to see um, uh, I forgot what's his name uh, the doctor the doctor whoever on like the nameplate so if you like go and like read all the background things it's like they 
kind of point out the stupidity of what things are named and like how they like are integrated in society. It's I don't know. I don't know I, if you picked that or not. I I liked that actually. Um it's I wish they leaned more into that in the characters than they do for like the Easter eggs type of stuff. Like it's amusing. It's like funny to see um like um bank fucks America as like yeah, one of like I don't one of banks. Uh, my personal favorite of the bank one was Capitalist One. I thought that was cute. Yeah, that was that was funny. Well, you know but, the Russo brothers love their Easter eggs. I know some like I'm even hesitant to say like Easter eggs because these are like not exactly subtle. Like you can't you, you can't miss them. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, I actually kind of like wished they like leaned more into that world of like quasi-reality um, mm. whereas like everything or some of the other stuff um they try to like depict as like fact so um so i think it i think it would if they like made up their mind of like we want to be either like super serious or um quirky uh it would have uh it would have been better like yeah yeah i felt like I felt like the theme, like the, I didn't know what tone we were going for here. Like, yeah. are we going for like a satire kind of thing or like, but then it got really serious and then very into drug use. And I'm just like, okay, that, you know, I mean, I get like, I, I get the whole PTSD veteran, how like, you know, how we treat our veterans, but like, I just, I just felt like, like, let's find a lane and stick to it here. It's, it's, I, I just I had a big issue with that and um and yeah I, I I don't know I I thought the most um I actually I actually thought the most interesting part of the movie was or the the best part of the movie was the, was when he was actually in basic training and um in combat because it was weird because that was like the only time in the movie and maybe a little bit before that but um the only time when they broke the fourth wall and Tom Holland like actually spoke to the audience. Um, but then after that, when he got home from the war and faced like PTSD and how he was treated um, by his neighbors and other people, um, he never, they never broke the fourth wall again. It, it, it turned into a very serious, um, just kind of downhill battle. And then ultimately he ends up in jail um, and I, you know, I just, I didn't expect to get that far, but I thought it was interesting that the only time he ever broke, broke the fourth wall was like in basic training when he was in his camp. Um, but like, I wanted more of that. Like I wanted more of like, I wanted more of that. I thought that was like the interesting part. Like when it was like, when his character was talking to us and telling us how he felt. Um, and I wanted more of like his reactions, like actually fighting and why, um, like how his PTSD developed and why. And, um, you know, he, he Show, they showed a little bit of um, the relationships he, he developed over, uh, overseas and his interactions with, um, I, I, were they, I guess they were in Iraq or Iran, but with the kids, um, with the kids they were talking to and how, how they treated, um, you know, little girls in, um, in Iraq and, um, or like how they, how they interacted with kids and children um, or how the soldiers did. 
so I just like I wanted more of that and I wanted more of like you know how how he developed his his PTSD in the end I didn't really care about like the bank robberies and I didn't care about the I mean I thought I thought it was important to touch on the drug use but like it wasn't that what I don't think it was done very well um so and I don't think it was done sent very sensitively any um I, I just thought it was I don't know. I, I had a very bad taste in my mouth with how like the addiction and the opioid addiction thing was brought up. Um, but but yeah, I, I thought for me, for me, the best part was when he was actually in combat and basic training. So that's what I want more of. I don't so, know if you can say anyway, but <laughs> I, yeah, uh, this movie to me, I can't take credit for this um, because I read this for one of my um, favorite reviewers um, who I uh, happen to agree with on this movie. Um, oh, I, I guess I should give credit. It's Richard Lawson from Vanity Fair. Um, but he described this like movie as like a bell curve uh, of like, it starts off like, you know, down at the bottom and then it like peaks like when he's like at basic and um, in combat. And then it like comes back down again <laughs> for the opioids and the, the bank robberies. I shouldn't even say just opioids. It's like not just opioids. Um, I, in fact, like it's barely opioids. It's more, yeah. it's more straight heroin. Um, heroin, yeah, heroin. Antidepressants, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, but for a second, I thought they were touching on like the opioid pandemic or epidemic. It's, it, it, I mean, it's all, it's all the same. Yeah, yeah I, guess, I guess, yeah. Yeah, um, heroin and opioids, uh, same thing. Yeah. Um, so um digress though but like back to like the good parts of, like where the peak is at the um uh, in like when he's in the army when he's an army medic and like i think those the reason like that connects and it also connects with me um is because like that is where that is his moment of coming of age and i i've said this in the podcast before like coming of age is my like favorite genre <laughs> of movie so um and i'll always have a soft spot in my heart for coming of age movies which is like probably why i'm like slightly more positive i think than um some people who like really don't like this movie um but it's because of my soft uh, because of my soft spot for coming of age but like he comes of age like out of rack um so he becomes like he gets like the name cherry because he pops his cherry uh quote unquote because he like killed somebody even though it was like in inadvertently for like because he's a medic and he like they died eventually died and, and so like one of the officers is like well you popped your cherry today and so it's like it's this big moment for him um literally the titular moment of his like transformation and um from there on out, like his transformation is like complete. And so and it's like downhill from there, literally downhill from the bulk of. So, um, so, uh, so like, I, I like that thing. Like he finds out like kind of like who he is during wartime. And so like that idea is, uh, is fascinating to me too. Um, and when he gets back home, there is like a better movie like of him dealing with the fallout of this but like the serious stuff for me like never lands i feel like they want you to like be kind of like crying because like there's this like epic scope 
to this movie. Um, I think it's like fair to say it's epic um, because of just like how much goes on and like where it takes place and how long the movie is. Um, and, but like it never really lands with me. And that might be part of the performances. Um, so, but like, I don't know. I didn't really like feel anything, even though I feel like I, I should have been feeling something when like people are at death's door because they overdose or, you know, um, or even like get blown to pieces in war. <laughs> so it's like, it just like never quite clicks. And like, I think that's in part because of like the inconsistency of the tone. So, um, it never like recaptures the, the glory that they got in the, um, in basic and in, in combat too. Um, those are also the times where they get to get like really pretty <laughs> shots. Like you get really like pretty shots of the desert. Um, and like the entire basic, uh, uh, section, this movie is like literally split up into sections. Um, all of that is like in a boxed aspect ratio, whereas the rest is widescreen. So it's, um, so they get to like play and do stuff. And there's this now famous shot from the point of point of view of Tom Holland's butthole. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it is, um, this is a cinematography nominee. Uh, so, <laughs> but like, um, again, like it's interesting at least. The inside of <laughs> so um, very rigid i know i know um yeah very detailed yes we see a lot of tom holland in this movie more than i wanted to see of tom holland yeah um so it's like it all uh it all kind of gets more interesting and like since this is like still relatively early on in the movie i'm kind of or at least like the halfway point, I was like, okay, I think it like might actually end up like net positive on this movie. And then, and then he gets back home and, <laughs> and I don't like particularly care for the stuff that happens all back home. Yeah. And um, there's like a, there's also like a point um, kind of in like when he gets back home um, and getting PTSD and they show like flashes of like wounded soldiers or like, like guts and blood and the things he saw, like, but like blacked out, like with a like a black screen, but like just like just soldiers wounded. And I'm like, like, we don't really need those flashes. Like we know, like he saw a lot of he got a lot of he saw a lot of traumatic things over there. Like we like again, like going back to another Tom Holland movie, like I like um with Devil All the Time, like I feel like I don't need explained to like why he has PTSD. Like I got it, like you got it, you like you really explained it, like with the whole desert scenes. Um, I don't need more flashing images of dead soldiers. Um, I just kind of felt like, again, like, I'm not stupid. I got it. Like, I don't need to see that. Um, so, so yeah, I, that, that's my rant on that. Um, <laughs> but they but, also yeah. do it. Like they also do a strange pivot um, when he gets back home of um, like Emily, like played by Ciara Bravo. Um, she, they kind of show like a little bit of her addiction too, of like how she becomes an addict. 
but like they never show of how her like her, the PTSD affects her, right? And so she doesn't really get like a whole lot of agency, even though they like turn her. I don't want to say turn her, but like even though they show her addiction, they don't really like show anything of like how it like affects her. She's just like she almost becomes like a sort of prop in a sort of way too. And I get that it's like from Cherry's perspective, um, but like, then they like lean on her when like, she like nearly dies um, from an overdose. Um, so it's like, it just like doesn't click, click with me. And this is like part of the, like, them trying to like make me emotionally invested when I'm not <laughs> type of thing. Yep. And I would be like more emotionally invested if they built up these, that like supporting role more, like that would click with me. If you showed how, so don't tell, right. It's like the first rule of screenwriting. So of how, like how the PTSD affected, affected Emily and like how it drove her down this path yeah it was just it was a very weird transition like like she was embarrassed in the theater and then all of it like he's because he's like having he's kind of freaking out in the theater and then she's embarrassed but that seems to be like her breaking point even though we had, didn't really see much else um and then all of a sudden he's in Terry Tahal and Terry's in a bathtub and then she screams at him, takes an opioid pill, and all of a sudden he she's addicted. Um, it's literally, and it's literally like, and that's how we became addicts. <laughs> yeah, like, like, very quick transition. Like, and all of a sudden it's downhill, like their lives are trash. Um, so I just, it's just something I didn't believe. And then we have to get into the whole bank robbing thing, which is another like, which is something I could have just lived entirely without. Um, but there was like, you know, and then we got a little montage at the end of him in jail and all of a sudden he's comes out and he's okay. Oh my God. Okay. Can we, let's talk about this. I mean, as we, we're kind of working our way through the movie. Um, right yeah, now. sorry, I didn't mean to. No, 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 this is, like, I actually think this like structures very well. We should do this for like more podcasts, like starting okay. the beginning. Starting <laughs> the beginning, move away from Yeah. Um, but the, um, the only sort of like interesting thing about the, like the bank robbery stuff for me is like looking at the bank names. <laughs> so like that just like kept me invested. That's like the only really thing. That's like all I have to say about that. Um, uh, but yeah, like he goes to prison um, and spends like, uh, what, like 14, 15 years in prison, something like that. And uh, I found it. They don't even stay. Yeah. We, they, they give the years, I think they, I think it was 20, 2007 to 2021. So like oh. the very last shot is like him getting out of prison. Yeah. Seeing Emily and like, okay. All they did to age Tom Holland up was give him a fucking mustache. And I, that like bothered me so much because like 
he spends all this time in prison. They show him like working out and doing all this stuff. And all that they do is give him a mustache to make him look like he's in mid thirties. Like they could have like, with all the CGI technology, with all the money that they spent on this movie, like they couldn't have made him look bulkier or given him like a few white hairs or like a thinning hair or wrinkles or something. And like, they give him a freaking mustache and Tom Holland is famously young looking to begin with. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, he's still playing a teenager in half of his movies. So like, like, it's like, why did you do that? Like, this is your opportunity to like make him look older and your choice is a mustache <laughs> and that is literally the last thing we are left with that is a shot of him with a mustache <laughs> i would have i would have actually preferred a new actor <laughs> coming to I know. like honestly like it was so it was so weird the makeup like they they added a little makeup but it wasn't anything spectacular but yeah it just i was like okay come on really yeah. for for i'm sorry but like really good looking as tom holland who has PTSD, a drug addiction, serious anxiety from dealing with bank robberies and 14 years of prison, comes out still looking like he's 23. Yeah, right, sorry. (laughs) Um, So I also, so besides the unrealistic uh, makeup job, um, I had a a big problem with, um, I thought they made a very bad statement at the end, um, how, I think that we have a big problem in this country about how we deal with addiction and deal with people who are addicts. Um, you know, there's, there's, we have a problem with um, this mentality that all drug addicts are bad and we throw them in prison. Um, and I thought, I, I, I thought this, this movie sent a bad message of saying, hey, you know, drug addict, bad, go to jail come out completely healed, completely cured. Um, and like, he seemed completely healthy and completely fine when he came out and saw uh, his wife at the end. Um, so rather than like express or express messages of discriminating against drug addicts, um, we show like, we don't help them. We throw them in prison and how the prison system can be good for them, which in actuality, it's not, it's very dangerous and detrimental for drug addicts. And I think, um, what I think this movie should have done is kind of evolve and adapt an idea of thinking, a way of thinking of how um, maybe there's other help for people with addiction issues, like especially veterans with PTSD. Um, And they didn't, I I feel like they didn't address that at all. Um, So there, there was no like, there was one scene where I guess he's at the VA um, and the doctor is not really taking him seriously at all. Um, and I wish they would have explored those issues more rather than bank robbers. And I, and I know this was based on a, on a book, but there are ways we can deviate from books to <laughs> kind of adapt to, you know, 21st century thinking. Um, so I think, I think there are ways they could have explored how we treat veterans and how we treat addiction in this country rather than just lock them up, throw them in jail, come out 17 years later, totally fine. Um, so I had a big problem with that. That's that's my big issue with the ending. Um, again, I don't know if you felt the same way, um, but that's my two cents. And that really like, 
that really kind of like sealed the deal with me. I'm like, I wasn't a fan of Carrie at all. So they, um, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Um, they could have or should have ended on either a more somber tone or a like slightly more ambiguous one. Um, because like he comes out and like is happy to see his wife who waited for him for 14 years. Uh, and like a very real sort of like possibility is like he gets out of jail and then they get back on their shit. <laughs> like like the same, the story sort of repeats, but it mm -hmm. didn't really kind of like end like that. I agree kind of ends with this happier tone um, and it doesn't leave that ambiguity up to up to more interpretation than I would like. It kind of like plays out with like Van Morrison, just like playing in the background. And then, um, so I think that sort of like ending with that would have, ending with something like a little bit more ambiguous or unhappy would have made for a better statement. Again, because like, this movie like ultimately kind of like doesn't really take a statement, I think. And if they, even if what they like ended on that, that would be like a taking a more firm stance on yeah. the way we treat these people. And I, I don't want to say these people because like that sounds so otherly, um, but like the way we treat certain people. So it's, um, and it doesn't or do that, right? Yeah, I just, I, 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 I don't know if this is the right word, but I thought it was just a little bit offensive um, to those who are suffering. Um, and like, it's not just, it's not always a happy ending and jail is not the answer for, for, for these kinds of people with these issues. So um, it's the Hollywood treatment. It is the Hollywood treatment. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Very, I just thought, I, I just thought there was a missed opportunity there and it's very unfortunate. Um, so that's my <laughs> thoughts on Jerry. <laughs> yeah, um, I am like, I don't think it's like a complete failure. I still find it, I still like these, um, I still like the idea of like what the Rooster Brothers are doing. I, I appreciate that they tried. <laughs> Um, I like, and I, I really do think they're trying. I don't think it's completely insincere, uh, but, um, I see, I see like the potential for more, right? So like, this is what they're doing. And this is like what Marvel is kind of doing in, in general, right? Um, and this is like a good thing. All these people who are making their like money and their paychecks from Disney or whomever, from Marvel, whomever, like want to like then make their own stories they're like okay we got we got the paycheck so we can tell these like other other sorts of stories right and this is like a product of that so i like that idea too um so uh i don't know i think it's um especially when you talk about like spending money on things like when we talk about like the mid-sized movie or something i think this is slightly bigger than mid-sized but uh like 
when we talk about like, you don't have to be this like super cheap independent movie all the time. And you can be like a more expensive movie and tell a non superhero story. Right. And so like, I think this is part of that genre. It's not really a genre, but like part of that category. So, um, so I find that like stuff really interesting. Uh, Like, um, this is more pronounced in like Netflix than it is in Apple. Um, but that's only because they've been around longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I also want to say like, I didn't entirely hate this movie. I, I thought the, I thought the beginning was good. I thought the, the coming of age scenes in, in the desert, in the war and in, in the fighting were good. I thought they were genuinely done well. Um, that's where this movie peaked my interest most. And then, the bell curve effect, <laughs> I, it just lost me after we got home. So um, I thought, I did think, I, I did think, I didn't entirely hate this movie. I don't want people to think I did. So I thought there were some good moments. There were some good um, plots and there were some okay statements. I actually, I didn't, I thought I would hate this. I thought I didn't like this, um, but I thought it was kind of like interesting how they um, made Tom Holland want to sign up for the military. Um, just, it, it so happened that he was just, you know, his his girlfriend, Sierra, or his girlfriend just said, <laughs> yeah. I, know Sierra. I, don't, I don't know who the girl is, who the actress yeah. is at all. Um, but like how she said she was going to school um, and he, going to school in Montreal, Canada. And he said, you know, well, so if he's like, if they're breaking up, he's like, I'm just signing up for the military. So I thought, oh, yeah. at first I was like, really? That's kind of a cop out. But then I'm like, okay, that's, yeah, I guess I, I don't hate it. So. Oh no, uh, I, I love that sort of things in movies. I love it when characters make completely irrational decisions. Uh, yeah. Cause I'm like, yep. Okay, great. <laughs> so it's, I love the chaos of it all. Yeah. It on. I like that. It just wasn't a standard, like, you know, 9-11, like I'm going to fight for my country kind of thing. Like there was a reason, like there's something that triggered him other than what happened on 9-11, which was very bad. Um, but there was something that actually triggered him, something else that made him want to uh, go fight. And it was for very selfish reasons, not, it was, you know, um, which I thought, I didn't, I didn't dislike it. I, I thought that was, I was- no. This is also like a complete sort of an, an addendum, um, but, I even to kind of like notice this when I'm describing it too. It's like, this is part of like a broader political thing, but like um, I talk about like him being in college and post 9-11 and then I talk about him joining the army and going to Iraq. And it's like Iraq and 9-11 were two very, very different things. Um, and we conflate them like all the time. And like he was in Iraq <laughs> in this movie, but I like, but it is a post 9-11 society. And I get that that's like kind of the point. That's like what a lot of politicians like want you to think and want you to conflate them. <laughs> um, but it's like, it's hard to, if it's hard to like clarify that sort of thing. So it's like, he wasn't like, he didn't feel that need to like fight for his own country. Um, mm-hmm. Even if subconsciously, maybe he did. Um, they don't explore any of this stuff too, but he doesn't fight for his country because um, Osama bin Laden attacked the U.S. Like he just does it. Um, I think he broke up with his girlfriend and goes to Iraq, not even Afghanistan. So it's like, I think future history students are going to get very confused on the, 
years between 2001 and 2003 as to why we were in wars in the first place. Um, I think a lot of students' essays will uh, get failing grades because uh, people will associate 9-11 with Iraq. And <laughs> I think there's like, um, it was unfortunate that they both happened very close to one another, but um, you know. That's because of not very aptly for... named War on Terror. Um, yeah. It never ends. It's kind of like the war on drugs. Like there's, there, where's the success point? <laughs> like, how do you, how do you do victory? We could have a whole other conversation on the war on I drugs. Know. Associated to this movie. I know, I know. the war on drugs, the, uh, so, actually, oh my God, I'm about to talk myself into liking this movie because of like talking about complaining of the war on drugs and uh, the war okay, on- Okay, let's end it there. Let's- Yeah, <laughs> I know. Let's move on, on to a, a topic we're a little more excited to talk about. So. <laughs> Woo, okay, yep, we're done. Done with Terry. Done with Terry. All right, well, um, I can't remember if you teased this or not at the top. I did. Of the, you did, okay. The, so, the predictions. Yes, so Oscar nominees are going to be announced tomorrow. Monday morning, bright and early. Yes. 8.19 oh. a.m. Eastern time, 5.19 a.m. And we can talk about... Um, the trials and tribulations of announcing Oscar nominees on a Monday morning. But let's be honest, there uh, are trials and tribulations too when anytime the Oscars are announced. So um, I, see, I see what you did there. Trials, wink, wink. Yeah. So anyway, um, Andrew and I are here to break it all down for you. Um, I don't know if we'll have a special segment on the nominations. Um, but oh, I mean, there's no way not to talk about it. <laughs> um, so we have for you our best 10 best picture nominees that we think are. So you are very excited. Um, I am also, I can see on your face. We're on a Zoom call. So um, how do you want to do this? Do you want to go by ranking on like definite to possibilities or just straight down the list like alphabetical? Uh, you or do you want to go back and forth? I think you we should have. I'm probably going to do mine like split into like rough categories of like safe, like probably safe and on the bubble. So, okay. Yeah, I'll probably do the same way. So, okay. All right. So, maybe I'll go first. <laughs> so, go yeah. yeah. All right. So, um, cool. That being said, here are my 10 best picture nominees for tomorrow morning. Um, what I think will be announced. So uh, I'll go, I will go in order from definite to, I have, I have 10 nominees because um, that's the max amount of slots that they have. Um, I will go from one to 10 based on how I believe who is going to be a shoo-in to maybe not. So, all right, um, starting with number 10, or sorry, I'll go with number one, sorry. So yeah, number yeah. One. start with the sure things. Yeah, sure things. All right, so I have Nomadland, Trial of the Chicago Seven, so that's one and two. Uh, three is Minari. Four, I have Mank. Five, I have uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, number six is Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, number seven, I have The Father. Uh, number eight, I have Promising Young Woman. Number nine, I have Borat, subsequent movie film. And number 10, I have Sound of Metal. 
Okay, mine are similar, not identical. Um, but similar. I figured. I figured. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I'm excited. And here's uh, my- our similar ones are like close to the top. So like my sure things um, are like the top five, and um, not coincidentally, these are the five that I think will also get best director nominations. So um, my sure things are Nomadland, Trial of the Chicago 7, Minari, Promising Young Woman, and Mank. Um, Mank, without question, is going to get the most nominations. There's no doubt. Um, because it's the only one that has like a lot of technical, uh, technical ones to get to. Um, yep. so. um, my... Probably's <laughs> uh, are uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and One My and One Night Miami. Those I think are like pretty likely to get nominations. Um, I think like Regina King may sweep in there for Best Director, um, but uh, who knows? I don't think um, I don't think George C. Wolf, who directed Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, is going to get one, but. My Rainey's Black Bottom has like the acting support and it has some technical support like yep. costumes and makeup. So it's like, so it's going to get some below the line stuff too. And um, I think, I think best actor is already like sealed for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So like all of that helps this for mm. sure. Um, the, my like the last three that I have and like, somewhat of a cop-out, like picking 10. I think there's probably going to be nine, um, just because there's always nine. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. like, um, this, but this year, who knows? Um, so the other ones that I have left are Judas and the Black Messiah, Sound of Metal, and The Father. Uh, so I think, I again, I just like don't know how to feel about The Father. <laughs> um I think um I think it'll get actor and supporting actress um but like there's this like really interesting thing with like the director sort of thing uh, basically what this comes down to is I think tomorrow's nominations are going to be pure chaos. I think there are going to be a lot of shocking nominations. I think this is going to be the most shocking year since probably like 2015 maybe even like 2012. Um, and we've seen so many snubs and like unexpected things happen. Like I think the best instance of this most unpredictable major category right now is best supporting actress. I don't think anyone can predict what's going to happen there. Um, so, and I think we may see this. Um, I think this may happen in the best director category. Um, it's, I think there are a lot of first time directors that, could appear in the best director category and the father is one of them honestly sound of metal is one of them too um but the issue with that is like there are so many of them like there are so many first time directors that made like really great movies last year last year was a really great year for um for first first time directors um and who knows like which one is gonna like rise to the cream um i'm bullish more on sound of metal i i'm aware it's my favorite um but the that is in part the reason why i'm bullish on it is because all you need for a best picture nomination is have a very passionate fan base 
and Sound of Metal has a very passionate fan base. So, um, so I think that's enough to get it like to get that. I think it's like what five percent of like first place votes or whatever to get um, to get into Best Picture. So I'm I think that'll happen. Uh, yeah. Just because I think there are enough people that that I think there five percent <laughs> is enough. To well, I mean, yeah, but I, I just I feel like we have our three shoe ins for Best Director. So. So we have Chloe Zhao, Aaron Sorkin, and the Isaac Chung. Um, but those last two spots, I feel like, I, I just, I, for some reason, like, for the, I, I feel like um, Emerald Fennell, like, is going to take one. Um, and I think, I honestly think Regina King is going to take the last one. Um, I, I just, I have a feeling. Um, and I think there's, like, there's more diversity there this year. And I think they want to, uh, I, I just, I feel like, when they have the opportunity to nominate two women directors, they're gonna they're gonna take it. See, well, see, I'm taking the pessimistic route. Even though, actually, I think no matter, I think no matter what, this year will be more diverse than usual in the director category. Like this is probably going to be the most direct or diverse directing. Um, nominees ever if it goes the way we predicted and that's in part because the only one that i'm like a hundred percent sure is going to get a director nomination is chloe zhao and that's also because she's been like cleaning up all the all the other awards like she's won like pretty much every best director award so it's like it's safe to say like she's going to get nominated too the other ones i'm like kind of sure but i could see a world where they like don't get nominated um and I kind of am of the, like, I don't necessarily believe <laughs> that, like, the um, the Academy will always rise to the occasion. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So I'm kind of, um, I don't know. I still think there's going to be at least two white men, and I think that's David Fincher and Aaron Sorkin. I, I don't think David Fincher is going to get nominated. I think, I think if anything... Um... Who directed the father? <laughs> Flor Florian Zeller, who's a new, is a new director. It's his first yeah. movie. Yeah. So I think uh, I think if anything, um, he will. If if we're gonna choose Whiteman, um, I think he'll get it over David Fincher. So the but reason I'm the reason I'm picking David Fincher is because again, I think like Manx gonna get the most nominations, and I think that the directing category of late has been lean the winners especially have leaned more heavily on directors of technical achievements like big technical achievements we've seen more splits between best picture and best director in recent years too and especially if mank is is a shoe-in for all these technical um awards like the leader of that is the director. So like, I think that's why I'm picking Fincher in there. I don't think he's a short thing though. I'm not like a hundred percent confident in that, but yeah. I think that fits, that fits more than, that's a different narrative than anyone else has in the directing category. Yeah, I just, I think, I think Mank, yes, will get a lot of nominations. I think it'll get the most nominations, but I think the love for Mank has kind of diminished um, over time. So I think yeah, I like I like the acting branch is the biggest branch of the academy, and I think it's very possible that Mank gets zero 
acting nominations. So, um, so like there's that effect too. Remember when Amanda Seyfried was like number one for? Oh yeah, I totally thought she was like I was like oh because I saw how like weak the supporting actress category was going to be this year. I was like oh Amanda Seyfried has this in the bag, and. <laughs> that is not the case anymore. And I don't even think she's going to get nominated now. So <laughs> out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. So it is, um, it is quite, quite the race. Um, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be pure chaos. I think there's going to be so many like shocking nominations that we'll see. And like, to your point, I think like the one shocking thing that like you put in there is like, Borat. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I do believe Borat will get. I, I do, we matched entirely except for you chose One Night in Miami and I chose Borat. So, yeah. So, um, Borat got a PGA nomination, like the producers yeah. of America. That, that's why that's why I put it in yeah. there. We got the PGA nomination. So, I was like, uh, so for me, that was that was the final, um, the, my final convincing uh, that to put it in my top 10. Bora is my number 12. Um, I only have like, um, my number 11 is News of the World. Um, also, because, oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, because that is the like, that is the only dad movie of them all. Like, and remember, like, last year, the big, I think, surprise Best Picture nomination was Ford v. Ferrari. And that was the dad movie of that year. Like, don't underestimate the dads. So, Very true. Do not um, underestimate the dads, yeah. So like the only one that really fits, I mean, you could say like Trial of Chicago 7 or maybe Mank, but like the only really dad movie of it all, I think it's for, or I'm sorry, is, <laughs> is News of the World. So, um, and I also think that's gonna get a couple technical ones, but that did not get the PGA. So, and that the PGA tends to skew populist more so than the Oscars. So like the fact that Borat got in over that is speaks volumes. <laughs> so yeah. Well, um, we will see. I mean, we'll find out tomorrow morning soon enough. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm embracing the chaos of it. I'm kind of like okay. I'm hoping for the best, but like preparing for the worst. I, I actually, yeah. I do think I do think Amanda Seyfried is still gonna. I, I still think she's a shoe-in for a nomination. I don't think she's going to win. I think um, Yu Jung Yu Jung Yoon is going to win. Um, but I think it's it's going to be her, Olivia Coleman, Yu Jung Yoon, uh, Maria Baklava, and um, probably Dominique Fishback. Um, but I, I, I yeah I do think Amanda Seyfried is going to get get a nomination. But I do not think she's the shoe-in anymore. I don't I like the supporting actress. I have like eight or nine possibilities, and it could be just like any combination of them any combination i'm like not confident in yeah. in any of it too and like there's always like a a shocking like omission like last year it was jennifer lopez so like and usually it like has to do with like a critic's favorite um so this year i think it either might be maria bakalova or vanessa kirby who i think is a little more um uncertain than yeah. so, so. Yeah. and do not underestimate the power of Ellen Burstyn or Glenn Close. <laughs> so more so, more so like Glenn Close. Like Burstyn's already won. Like I, I like almost don't think Burstyn's gonna happen. Even though she is one of my like nine babies. Yeah. Like I don't, just like that category is so wild too. Oh my god, I'm like kind of shaking just like thinking about like what could happen. Oh, you can't. I should record myself tomorrow morning. It's yeah. And uh, if anyone in the academy is listening, um, please consider Olivia Cope. <laughs> 
two percent of Americans. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, like the way that this year is like so wild. Like I like won't count anything out. So there's always, and that's the thing. Like the, the whole idea of pod predictions is like you generally play it safe. Um, and there's always one like shocker. So, so right. I'm, I'm excited to see what that shocker is going to be. Yeah. All right. Well, I am excited to discuss further with you. Um, I think we've worn out our audience enough. So <laughs> unless you have, unless Never. you have, I don't want to, I don't want to give you, I know, I know you like your soapbox, but I, I want to kind of push you off because we <laughs> <laughs> going on for a long time so we'll have more to discuss next week always yeah so all right well um if that's it from you i guess yeah. that's it from me. and uh that's it from us so thank you so much for joining us this week on step and repeat that's a wrap from us uh but we'd love to hear more from you so let us know what you thought of the podcast and what you thought of uh cherry or anything else you watched this week or if you had a chance to read um andrew's book uh by a.o scott um or the south park special or cherry or if you have thoughts on tomorrow's nominees let us know um if you had the chance to watch and review uh so you can always read us on twitter at repeat step pod and on facebook.com at uh or facebook.com slash <laughs> <laughs> you can always um you can always reach us by email at step and repeat pod at gmail.com um and you can find more of our reviews on letterboxd andrew is at a shined and i'm at mgrant1219 and please spend a few seconds to rate and review us uh those new reviews help us get new listeners so if you give us a five-star review as always we will give you a 60 second review of any movie you're choosing any movie at all uh so until next time, thank you for listening. And I think I speak for Andrew when I say it's an honor just to be considered. <laughs>